0: Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. So today, my guest, I am so happy and honored to reconnect with Brenda Schmidt. Brenda is the head of enterprise growth at Redesign Health. Just say really, say hi really quick, Brenda.
1: Hi, Trish. It's great to reconnect.
0: (laughs) So now for those people that are new to the show or new to the community, let me set a little bit of context for this interview. I made five critical choices on my journey from the pit of despair to the peak of success, my enduring success. So those five choices, I picked up the phone, which is really making me first choice. I committed to a two-way agreement. I built trust in myself and then inspired the trust of others. I created community and belonging. And then finally, My fifth choice, I embraced my boundless capacity to give love and receive love, love the verb. So for this interview series, I get to interview people who I admire and pull some of their lessons and wisdoms and advice as it relates to these five choices in their lives. So, Brenda literally six months ago, when I was getting ready to launch this next season, you know my business partner and friend, Jenny Geis, and she and I said that we couldn't think of a better person to help us launch this season than you, especially as it relates to our mission to inspire younger women around the world.
1: Thank you. I'm I'm really touched by that. I remember when I was a, a young entrepreneur and I picked up the phone and I, I was trying to outreach you to trish and and i was like oh my gosh she's this big executive at a company and she's not going to want to talk to me so um just it's so interesting just how our perception and reality is different you know yes so oh my gosh
0: and and i got the opportunity to work closely with you it was about seven or eight years ago so how about this i'm gonna have brenda give a little bit of herself and she's so humble so i'm just gonna say this she is like the serial like professional ceo founder builder developer seller the whole thing she's the whole package and i just feel really lucky that i had a chance and an opportunity to work with you professionally so just tell us a little bit about yourself
1: well thank you so much i I appreciate that and i would just say uh, underlying um failure has typically not been an option for me. And I think my mantra is if someone says no, that just means I just can't do it with you and I move on to (laughs) someone else. And so um, that historically has sort of been how I've um, approached life in general, but um, I've been in healthcare forever. First off as as a science major, when you think I was a bachelor's in microbiology, a master's in immunology. And so I always tell younger people, it doesn't really matter what you graduate in, because 10 years later, no one asks and no one cares just, it sets you up to be a lifelong learner. So um, actually after my master's degree, I went into sales. Um, and this was after um, interviewing for a job at actually Abbott and going into the bowels of the um, the company and seeing these women in, in uh, hairnets with Petri dishes. And the guy looked at them and he looked at me and I'm pretty <laughs> gregarious and he said, this job is not for you. And that was probably a turning point in my life. And so um, I was in pharmaceutical sales, worked for Baxter for about 15 years, and then um, started my first company in 2005. So I can certainly talk about that journey, but was a entrepreneur for almost 15 years, um, ran a venture studio and found my way to, to redesign health a couple of years ago, which has just been a great experience. Just awesome.
0: And where do you reside?
1: I live in Phoenix, so wow. um, I remember
0: been- it being so hot every time I would come see you. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, my God.
1: I strategically travel in the summertime, but I am incredibly excited. I just got an apartment in New York. So part of my plan of why redesign was first, it's just a phenomenal company. and But secondly, based in New York. So there was a reason that I could get there more frequently because I just I'm a city girl and I love the city. And, and so um, I'm incredibly excited to be able to spend a little bit more time there with my husband. That's awesome. Awesome. So
0: Brenda, by all, literally all definitions, you have created incredible professional and personal success. And I'm a true believer that we all have a different definition of success. What I want to get your perspective on is what does creating enduring success mean to you at this point in your life?
1: I think, enduring, I think a lot about that where I'm in the stage of my career that I am is, is you think a lot about what's your legacy. And it was also a decision point when I was at Baxter for a long time. And I thought, what's my legacy at Baxter? What have I actually contributed not only to the company, but to the world through working there? And I got really good at PowerPoint and Excel. And I couldn't thread the needle working at a healthcare company of actually how I was impacting the cost and quality of care or patient experience. And I think that's what led me to be an entrepreneur. And I think later on, it's it's both have I made a positive impact on society, however you define that, um, and, and other people. And it's why I so appreciate your, your podcast and some of the other areas where I spend my time. So I teach entrepreneurship at NYU. Um, I am on the Health Council at Springboard Enterprises, which is a, a female focused female founder. Bit. So I'm choosing to spend my time helping lower the speed bumps for other people and, and lots of women um, who are uh, starting their journey that I've been on. And I can't eliminate those speed bumps, but I can make them lower based on sharing a lot of um, experiences and difficulties that I've had to, to hopefully help them.
0: Completely. And you do it just by being you. And then you do it by your intentionality of where you can find those younger women and people. And then you just show up and you help them intentionally. And I watch you. I follow you. I see what you do. And I appreciate that too. Thank
1: you. It's been fun to even do that within my team. I just this morning talked with someone who just started this week and it's, I like to just let them know, you know, this is not gonna be your last job. And how can I help you learn or experience as much as you can experience here that sets you on the trajectory of knowing what you wanna do for your next job? I mean, we can't have the expectation when someone's in their twenties that they're gonna spend 30 years here. So yes, I expect them to, you know, actively contribute and, and show up and, and be this amazing employee. But I also think as the company, there's an obligation to help them on their journey and, and their career path and have them also have that be a, a win-win situation for them as well.
0: And you know what? I think that is like a, a very strategic way. Also, it's it's natural, it's authentic, and a strategic way to probably keep people in the workforce for a little bit longer right now, because it is the younger generation might not stay for all that long. And there does need to be a professional and personal development aspect of my job and what I do and and keep me engaged and keep me growing or I'm gonna go elsewhere.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the things I learned at at Baxter, You know, as I think er people earlier in their career, they think of ladder, right? I'm gonna get Mm -hmm. to the next promotion. And I think it's sometimes much more, impactful and beneficial to think about lattice. Like, what can I learn when I'm here? What teams or projects should I expose myself to, to both understand what I love to do and I'm good at, and, and conversely, what I really don't like to do, because that's just as important. I think, you know, reading a lot of leadership books, it's much more important to help people lean into their strengths then try to develop their resource their their weaknesses because there's no one can be good at everything and so how right. do we have them lean into their strengths i always say if you if you're good at something and you love it and you can add value and make money doing it that's what you should be doing and that discovery process i think is really important it's awesome
0: okay so then let's get into it the first critical choice i made was to pick up the phone that sounds like a very practical choice but and i actually really mean a physical choice of picking up the phone I learned that success begins with making a first choice. My guess is there's probably multiple first choices that you may have made in your life for you to get where you're at. But is there a first choice that you think about that has really impacted where you are today?
1: Yeah, well, I think not making a choice is a choice. Oh, I I mean, I think that's the, the first is like, I think that intentionality of making a choice and thinking about, in many instances, I think about choices, um, choice is scary. But if you think about one-way versus two-way doors, if you're making a choice that's a one-way door that is so significant that you can't go back through the door, Mm -hmm. give that choice a little bit more thought. But if it's a two-way door, then, then go for it. And I always feel like, you know, We talked a little bit about this earlier um you know if you think about those choices as experiments then if they don't work you didn't fail you the experiment just wasn't the right experiment so i think about my first choice was actually um uh after i graduated from college i based my parents basically said you need to get a job or come home i didn't really want to go back home so I, i went to grad school so that was a really interesting choice um, and it taught me what i didn't want to do but then i think that the next choice was moving into something that i did want to do which was so far away from what i had studied in school which was, which was right sick. um and that really set me on an, an interesting trajectory but i remember i was doing very well in sales and i got a call from baxter that said we want you to not only move to chicago but take basically a 50 percent pay cut and i remember at that time I was like, why would I do that? And they said, you could be in your job for the rest of your career and do well, or you could take this path and have a, a very, very different trajectory in your career and your life. And I think if I hadn't actually taken that choice of a 50% pay cut and a move to a new city where Did I didn't to to Chicago which I love Chicago but um that set me up in a very different path because I have peers to this day you know decades later that are still in that job and it's wow. a great job but they made a different choice for their life than I think you know that I made at that yeah. time. Yeah
0: and that t- totally changed your maybe not totally but really changed the trajectory not only of your career but now the people you influence. Like mm. that's what I think about it, is I think the people that you influence not just as when you were a founder and CEO of companies, but an executive of companies and what you're doing now, your choice has impacted them.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And I think part of it is just my nature is, um, um, my husband had the same job. He's a, a college professor for 31 years. And I'm like, how do you do that every, you know, because I'm like two or three months, I'm like ready for some change, two or three months, ready for some change. And I think even <laughs> among the, the 15 years I spent at Baxter, I was just a hand raiser, and I think that's another lesson mm. for women, especially, in two different ways. I think, first of all, we work really, really hard, and we expect our accomplishments to be noticed. We don't necessarily brag about ourselves. I think we own failures, and we don't necessarily own successes. And so, um, the other piece is we're very uncomfortable. I mean, I'm generalizing here, but yeah, if, absolutely. If, yeah. in my experience, we'll use some gestalt here in my experience. Um, it's uncomfortable to volunteer for things where we don't feel like we have area expertise. I mean, I, I think even to this day, I suffer from imposter syndrome. Like, why me? Why should I be able to do this job? I don't know what I'm doing. But at the time I was at Baxter, I was very much a hand raiser and an intrapreneur, which served me well to become an entrepreneur because I was um, had a lot of autonomy within that company to build and develop things. That allowed me to gain certain skill set that benefited me later as a CEO.
0: The second critical choice I made was to commit to a two-way agreement. And now this one always people think about this. I I feel like we all enter into two-way agreements, informally or formally. And there's lots of formal agreements that we've entered into. What I experience is the power of committing to the agreement. And when we commit, when both parties commit actions that start from, I have to do this can transform to, I want to do this. What is your, can you just give us an example or share with us, perhaps a two way agreement that you entered into and what you gave and what you got, what was your experience?
1: Wow. There's probably a lot, a lot of those.
0: Especially for you professionally and personally,
1: right? I think, I mean, I'll just, I'll just go back to being, you know, an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and Solera is a great example. So, you know, I I started one company and bootstrapped that, which was a really interesting um, opportunity to learn how to manage cash. And then founding Solera, um, raised about 82 million in capital. I left after the series C and I think people were really shocked that I, that I left, like just couldn't understand, like you built this company, you were the founder, but I think when you start a company and you have external investors, your, your perspective always has to be, you are going to do what's in the best interest of that mm. company, right? That's a two-way agreement. Yes. That yes. Every day I'm going to go through all of the, Horrible, you know, emotional and financial roller coaster that is entrepreneurship, which is thrilling and terrifying at the same time. But at the end of the day, you have an obligation to the shareholders and the employees and the broader ecosystem of um, of the success of that company. And I am phenomenal zero to one. I love building things. I'm I love strategy. I love vision. I love operational infrastructure and culture. I don't care why something costs a dollar sixteen and a dollar ten in the, in the call center. I just it's, I just like don't care. And so when the business became needing to focus much more on the operational infrastructure to be profitable, which is a different phase of growth, it was the time for me to step out. And I think that that was, um, maybe not as, as well recognized. So I think that's one of the really big two-way agreements that a lot of entrepreneurs who start a company think, well, I'm going to be, this is mine. Uh And it's not. And, and I think that that's, um, that was a a big two way agreement that I think others have to really think about um, as in their careers. I mean, I, I think even you know with employees, you could work at a great place. It might not be great for you, and you have to be really honest with yourself: is are you on that journey and you're committing to that company, or are you not? And there's a better place for you, and that's okay. And that's yeah. just choice that you make. It's not right or wrong or good or bad. It's just there's our good fits and there are not. If it's, I have had employees that I've had to terminate because they were not high performing for me who went on to incredibly successful careers somewhere else.
0: Cause that, cause there was another fit mm-hmm. and that fit perhaps helped them to commit to their side of the agreement. You get, it's gotta be both ways. I commit, you commit, and therefore it's together. Sometimes one of those parties just doesn't follow through with the expectations. And I appreciate your advice there, which is acknowledge it move forward.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not a fail Again, it's not a failure. It's an experiment. experiment. <laughs> yes.
0: Right. And I love your analogy of the door. If there's a two-way door versus a, a single door. So anyways, I won't backtrack us. I'll keep us going with that. But that might be a thread that I keep in my mind. Uh, the third critical choice I made was to build trust first in myself. I mean, Brenda, there was a time where... I, I didn't trust myself at all. So I had to first inspire trust within myself and then learn how to inspire the trust of others. I've since learned that I continuously have to build trust in myself. (laughs) So here you are, this beautiful, successful, professional executive. Has there been a time that you've had to build trust in yourself and if so, How did you do
1: it? Yeah, I think um, so. I Earlier in my career, I had a a first marriage and a a pretty, Hmm. from my experience, horrible first marriage. And after I left that marriage was a a time when um, my self-esteem, my confidence, everything was at an all-time low. And it took a lot for me to really dig out from that and i i would have probably started a business earlier and had the confidence to go out and do that had i not i, I had the safety net of working for a really big company where that was protective f- from that environment and i think i would have followed my passion earlier had i had the confidence to do it earlier um, but that i really had to build that trust back in myself that i could be successful um, coming out of a relationship where I felt very unsuccessful, um, and then you know I think you know got married again. I've been married, over, you know, to almost twenty eight years. Um, trust in others and you know trust in myself that that then I could be successful and had the the confidence and the and the resilience. Thank yeah. you. Frankly, sorry, dog barking. Oh, if
0: it's, if it's not your dog, it's going to be my dog or my eleven year old son. So yeah. we're we're I'm good if you're good.
1: But I, I would say that generally, I think about younger folks and and the, the 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 really horrible times build the two things that are critical for success in my mind are resilience and resourcefulness, hmm. and 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 that's where I, I think people just need grit. And if you have grit, and and that hardship makes you stronger, I see that driving lots of people's success. And so, um, even with my own kids, you know, really try not to protect them from things that could build that resourcefulness and resilience. It's like, figure it out. And I I think that there's maybe a little bit less of that culture today than there used to be of, of fostering that just necessity for resourcefulness. And my kids are like, I have less than a hundred dollars in my bank account. I go, I remember when I was scrounging through my drawers for a oh or a quarter so I could put some gas in the car. Like, totally. You know, like you need to feel that, like, hard it's hard, it's hard
0: though, <laughs> so, right? Because we've provided our children things that perhaps we didn't have, you know? And, and I constantly fight this struggle of, oh my gosh, what am I not teaching my kids by the fact that,
1: They do have $100,
0: (laughs) you know, they never have to worry about not having $100 in there.
1: Well, and I say that, I I will always be a safety net, but I am not, right? right? I'm not enabling you to not figure out your life for yourself.
0: Okay, so here's the flip to the question. How do people inspire
1: your trust? I... Transparency, um, following through on what they say they're going to do. Um, I like people who argue well. So if you know me, I have strong opinions. I have strong opinions loosely held. So I love it when groups of smart people get together and they have constructive, um, often heated discussions about how to get to the best outcome. I appreciate that. And that builds trust for me more so than someone says, oh, okay, you have this strong opinion. I'm gonna go execute on that opinion. So trust is... Um, showing up, being very human and humble, being transparent, following through on what you're saying you're going to do, and then expressing your opinion about something that we may or may not disagree on, but that allows for an honest, productive discourse. It's awesome.
0: That's uh, and many, many people shy away from that. Yes. So maybe embrace that. If you shy away from it, listen to Brenda and just even embrace practice, practice, practice. And I
1: think that's the other piece is, is feedback is a gift and people are really uncomfortable giving feedback and they're really, um, it's hard to get feedback, but feedback is a gift. And so I think that the more we can give each other real-time feedback and as close to whatever that event that. Cause the feedback is the better, Um, you know, not in an annual review, not in, you know, every six months or even every quarter. But it's if you view feedback as a learning opportunity and uh, assume good intent about helping that individual or even the feedback that I get helping me be better, I I think that's another piece that builds trust.
0: When I was going on my journey to build trust, I learned uh, that if you do the little things great, Great things can happen. And so I didn't ask you this when we were talking before, but is there a little thing, a small thing that you do consistently that has helped you build trust in yourself or inspire
1: the trust of others? Just something that you do or have done that's kind of small,
0: but you do it consistently.
1: I I, I think I tend to recognize people I say thank you. I recognize them. Even within our team here, we created a little award called the Dolphin Award. And it's because we did an offsite in in, uh, South Carolina and we saw dolphins and we started talking about dolphins versus sharks and how dolphins behave. And we protect the pod and help each other fish. And so we actually created a little um, award that we give to people for sort of um, embodying the team norms in my team. And it's not an individual award. It's if we get up to 20 different awards across the team then everybody gets rewarded okay. everybody gets swag so i think it's that appreciation um i mean i people will do a lot and i will do a lot just for a little appreciation when you think yeah. about that so i think yes. it's partly building trust but partly just for the very small things just saying thank you and i and i appreciate you and that that goes a long way and i, I think we need more of that in our personal and professional life. i
0: do too and this Dolphin Award, I think completely leads me to the next critical choice, the fourth area that I want to explore with you, which is creating community and belonging. So for me, I was 30 years old and I had created more professional success than I ever thought. Oh my gosh, you and I got to talk, like really get into this because it's just the craziness of, of where I came from and where I got to. But what I realized is I'm friendly with everyone, friends with no one. I had created this, this world where I still didn't belong anywhere. And I learned that in order to belong, I had to create my own community and my own sense of belonging. So this, this area is very, very dear to me as I work with women and others everywhere. So let's keep going with the dolphin analogy. When I think about creating community and belonging, well, how about this? Has there ever been a time that you have felt like you didn't belong? And if so, how did that feel?
1: Many, many times. And I think to develop friendship and belonging um, requires a sense of vulnerability that is very difficult sometimes to do in the situations that I was in as a CEO. So talk about not belonging in the early days of raising venture capital in the 2000s of walking into a typically male dominated networking event when I was taught, don't interrupt people in conversations. Like, <laughs> so um, it was, there was so many times I didn't feel like I belonged that the the, the, the the conversations they were having the, you know, it it just culturally, the sports and and, and where they would go after hours where I was probably not welcome to attend and Mm -hmm. just the, you know, just the reality of, of men, not in in many throughout my career. And I've been here a long time, including, you know, the eighties and nineties where it was difficult to know even how women fit in, into the workforce and, how to actually incorporate women into the the culture that had been traditionally male dominated and yeah. so um i think for me it's it's yes it's it, it's hard for me to have people break in i'm very friendly but it takes a lot to actually become my friend and not because i don't want that but it's a, it's a level of vulnerability that i'm pretty protective of so in many instances in and in, especially as i was an entrepreneur you, you can't have it all at once, all at the same time. You can't. I'm yeah. married. I have kids. I'm trying to be an entrepreneur. What got sacrificed were friends and self-care. Like those things just, no. Oh. You know, if you look at the percentage of the brain, you know, of the hundred percent of my time, those, the friends were zero other than maybe a community around what my uh, work. work. So work became my community. And then a little bit around the people that, you know, the soccer team and the Girl Scouts. I mean, I was leading a Girl Scout team, exactly. a Girl Scout, you know, all of that, but, that you do as a parent. I was actually, well, this is funny because I ran the PTS, PTSA for two years because I was like, this is a business, you women need to move <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, get them into like chip shape here.
0: Fundraising, get them into the events, like, like come I on. Well, and you're a seller and
1: you're a business developer. So, yes. so, yeah, so sure. work became my community. And that's where I think culture became incredibly important is is hmm. work 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 they were my people I mean they are my people yeah. it teams, my people, and so I think I care deeply about them, and I wouldn't think that we're necessarily friends. but if you think about community and belonging, I hope feel people feel a sense of belonging there, and I hope I, I create a sense of belonging. Um, since my kids have grown up and I'm no longer an entrepreneur and I still work incredibly hard, I have found room in my life for some really, really incredible friendships. And, and that's been nice because that was a, a part of my life that I just didn't have time for with wow. everything that's happening.
0: And so how does it feel to belong? When you've created that belonging at work or at home, what, what does it feel like to belong?
1: It's, it's interesting. I think COVID was an inflection point for me around belonging. Because prior to that, I was traveling all the time. I didn't have an opportunity right. to really step back and understand what, who, who was valuable in my life and how did they show up in different ways in my life that was valuable. So COVID actually was, what, a two or three year opportunity to step back yeah. and say, who is in my pod? And so I, we had five people in our pod and we spent a lot of time together awesome. cooking and um, you know, we would actually go and a couple of times rent Airbnbs together. Like, we're going to bring in all our groceries. Remember when we were like, wiping? that's a great idea. Well, so, it was the first time that I actually had both the time and intentionality and, and, and frankly, the need to spend a good amount of time. Like I didn't see my parents for a lo- really, really long time, almost right. two years. Right. And, you know, we, through the glass sort of thing, we lived in the same town, but they weren't part of the pod. So it wasn't really my family. It became... A really close knit set of friends that was, um, you know, accelerated the opportunity. Then now, when I am traveling a little bit more, those bonds are built um, to be able to have that um, continue.
0: That is beautiful, and I, I never want to bring the story back to me, but I have to tell you, I relate to that because it it was during the pandemic when I stopped traveling that I really ended up opening up more to I'll call it I'll say the neighborhood moms that. Mm-hmm only knew me as the mom that's always out of town. Oh, she's like this professional mom that's always out of town. And I never really opened up, up to them about who, about the life experiences that make me who I am and whatever it is. And now we're so close <laughs> and I'm more myself and I have this pod the, the, we're dolphins and we raise each other up and we're there for each other. You know, and it's, it, well, for that, it was a gift. That's gonna lead me to my fifth, and final choice. I should have made the fifth choice from the very beginning, but it took me a while to get here, which was to embrace my boundless capacity to give love and receive love. And now I couldn't wait to have this conversation with you because I use the word love as an action and a verb and and the choice of giving versus love as an emotion. When we had our children, we didn't Choose to love them. We just love them. But I really believe that in every aspect of our life, with our customers, with our clients, with our investors, with our partners, with our family, peers, we have a choice on how we show up and what we give and what we receive. Can't wait to get your perspective here. What do you think about, for you in your world, how does love the verb manifest itself?
1: I think, for me, it's treating people the way they want to be treated. That is the biggest gift we can give other people because we say a lot, treat people the way you want to be treated, and how I want to be treated is not necessarily at all what someone else wants to be treated so a good example of this is I am a solution person, so Trisha, if you tell me I have some problem, what you're gonna get back for me is probably three ways you could solve the problem, <laughs> and that's probably not what you want, and so I have learned to ask the question up front do you want me to listen or do you want a solution like what how how do you want me to show up and i think that 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 has been difficult for me because i immediately lean in and my and the kids my kids are the same way like mom i don't want you to solve the problem and so but it, it's little things at work like like i have some people who communicate via Slack. Others only want to use signal. Some are email. And I, so I get up every morning and I have like four or five different channels. Some people will text me, but it's the way they want to communicate. And I think that if we can show up and treat people the way they want to be treated and actually understand the difference and understand what they need, that's how I show love. It's it's what they need. I mean, we we talk about my kids a lot about what our love language is.
0: Yes, I mean, yes. Even
1: asking people, I think that's probably a vernacular that I just learned. Over, I time. use that. Yeah, it, like, yeah. Like, how do you perceive that people love you, mm-hmm. and how do you feel love from people based on how they show up towards you? So it could be listening it could be leaving you alone it could be buying things for you it could be whatever that love language is of how people express their love yes. it Could be cooking whatever that is but understanding how people go wow you cook dinner for me you love me as opposed to i took you out to dinner because yes my kids, that would be a different experience for them one would love me to cook the other one really wants to go out but that's perceived differently by them, even though, yeah. So I, I think it's it, that would be the way that I would say it, and, and it fosters lots of good conversations, whether that's with your family or your friends or you, the people that work with you, how they want to be treated. And I even think about this at work. I, I was talking to this uh, person the other day. Is we assume people are coming to work for money or, or in career advancement, and that's not necessarily true. I used to ask everyone, "Why are you here? Is it community?" Is it learning? Is it money? Is it development? Like, why are you actually here? And what's fascinating to me is those answers were very diverse. I'm here because I love the people and the culture and the community. I don't care about career growth. I love my job. I could do this job forever. Others are, I can make a lot of money here. Like it's all about the money. And and so it's really different. And so again, if you knew know why people are there, then you can give them what they need in their day-to-day lives to help them get more of what they need and the reason that they're there. And I was surprised at how different it was.
0: I appreciate your examples so much. And especially uh, an example of love, the verb is you saying, I want to know how you perceive love. Like it literally is the act of wanting and then asking and observing, how does this person on my team communicate? How does this person you know, receive love? Why does this person wanna be here? I mean, that is so powerful. You are a gift. Brenda. Oh. you're a gift. People that are around you and the people that work for you and, have, and work with you and your personal community, you are a gift to them. And I feel like I just got like a little, a little like nugget of that gift for a couple of years and you know in a we didn't even work totally close together we just worked on a partnership together and it really has stayed with me
1: thank you i feel the same for you so i'm so excited that you're doing this podcast and can feature other women and and inspire other people so thank you for putting this together
0: you're awesome and you said yes and you said yes right away and that to me was giving your love to me and so i take it i accept it i honor it and i thank you thank you all right everybody i can't wait to get this out this is trish kendall your host for the choose and become interview series this interview with brenda schmidt you'll find this interview and others at www.trishkendall.com choose and become Thank you for joining me for our Choose and Become interview series. You could find this episode and others at trishkendall.com. Just go to trishkendall.com backslash choose-become-interview-series. Or if you have a question or just want to leave a comment, email me, trish at trishkendall.com.